Uh, this morning we continue our series uh, in 1 Corinthians, uh, which is titled The Power of Example. The Power of Example. We're thinking about five different ways that example has a powerful effect upon our lives as we live in light of the gospel. Uh, last week we were thinking about the power of example through how it is we worship and um, how we're called to glorify God with all that we are and whenever seers live in that way they're inspired and encouraged to do the same. Uh, next week TJ is looking at how Paul calls the Corinthians very explicitly to imitate him as he imitates Christ. We're going to be thinking about how Jesus is our ultimate example in life. Uh, and in two weeks' time, we're thinking about the example Paul calls the, the Corinthians into through the practice of a particular regulation. It was a command specifically for the gathered times of worship. And we're going to unpack that in a lot more detail when we reach that point within the letter. And in the final week, we're looking at how it is we should be an example through the breaking of bread, through communion. God calls us to practice this act of worship in a manner that's worthy of God, in a manner that glorifies God. So this is where we're going in the next few weeks. Uh, this morning we're examining the power of example through the call upon our lives to be a people who are on mission. A people who are on mission for Jesus. Um, as we think about this call to be on mission, what does it look like for us to be an example which truly is for God's glory and for our good? Uh, we're focusing today on what is the next two verses in 1 Corinthians. We're taking our time within this section but there's so much we can take from these few verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 32 to 33. We looked at verse 31 last week. Today we're looking at the next two verses. So Paul writes these powerful words for us, uh, starting in verse 32. He says this, Give no offence to Jews or Greeks or the church of God, just as I also try to please everyone and everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many, so that they may be saved. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word today. Uh, over the last couple of months, uh, I've been subjected to Disney Plus. Uh, thanks to one of James's aunties, who, for the purposes of this tape, will not be mentioned. Uh, the result is that James's new best friend is Buzz Lightyear. Uh, James's favourite word at the moment uh, is Buzz. James's favourite films are currently Toy Story 1, 2, 3 and 4, but mainly 2 because Buzz gets a more prominent role within this film and I don't think I've watched the Toy Story franchise as much as I have in the last four to five weeks. Uh, come to think of it, I don't think I've watched any movie franchise more than I have Toy Story in the entirety of my life because of what's happened in the last month or so. And this is how I know Toy Story has been on for too long within our house. Uh, I can be working in the kitchen, I can hear the soundtrack in the background, the soundtrack of one of the four films. And based on the soundtrack alone, not only do I know what film it is, I know what bit of the film that it's in, and I know what's coming next in the story. I even know what's coming next in the soundtrack within the story. Now, I don't actually mind uh, Buzz. It's the other guy that annoys me, uh, Woody. Is it just me, or is Woody not the most annoying character of all time? Maybe it's just me, you can pray for me later on. But he's always up to something. He's always doing something. He's always trying to run somewhere. He's always trying to rescue someone. I wish he would just take a day off and give us all a break. Um, if you know anything about Woody, you'll know that in Toy Story 1 to 3, he lives under this bigger narrative. Woody exists to please his kid, Andy. And then he does the exact same for his second kid. Her name's Bonnie. 
The narrative is the same. I exist to please Andy. I exist to please Bonnie. And for Woody, the result of this narrative is this. I'm going to live my life according to this narrative. His actions then flow out of his desire to please his kid. His narrative precedes all that he says, does and decides. But all of this changes in Toy Story 4. His narrative moves from I exist to please my kid to sadly but not surprisingly because this is a constant narrative that's communicated in our society today. I need to be true to myself. I need to be true to myself. And the result is that Woody, as a 1950s toy cowboy, makes this massive life decision. And if you've not seen Toy Story 4 and you really care about this, then this is a moment you can put your hands over, over your ears. Spoiler alert. Um, but Woody makes this massive life decision to leave his kid Bonnie. And he becomes a stray toy with a whole bunch of other stray toys. Woody is no longer pleasing Bonnie. Woody is pleasing himself. So you couldn't get a more 21st century cartoon than that. So this is maybe why I've got issues with Woody. But there's a serious point in all of this. I'm not just talking about Toy Story today. Toy Story, in many ways, is simply a window into the human condition. As Woody's life was governed by his narrative, whether it be, I exist to please my kid, or I need to be true to myself and listen to man or voice. Our life, the things that we say, do and decide, are orchestrated and governed by whatever narrative we are living under. And we have all sorts of different narratives that affect how it is we shape and live our lives. If someone's narrative in life is this, if only I was pretty, then I would be happy. How do you think we're going to live our life? We're going to spend a lot of time in front of the mirror. We're going to spend a lot of money on beauty products. Most likely, we're going to take a lot of selfies. We're probably going to spend a lot of time analysing themselves on Instagram and Facebook. If someone's life narrative is, I will not be complete in life unless I have lots of money and possessions, how are they going to live their life? Well, most likely, we're going to work until they drop dead. We're going to push themselves so that their career is at the very centre of who they are. We're going to throw people under the bus in order to achieve their desired money goals. Money and possessions will constantly be the determining factor of whether they are happy or sad. If someone's life narrative is comfort is a source of all my peace, how are they going to live their life? They're going to pursue everything, however good or bad it might be, that leads to comfort. And they're going to flee from anything, however good or bad it might be, that might result in discomfort. The comfort junkie more often than not sees people as a problem, particularly when these people have problems themselves. They will live a sedentary life and not live to their full God-given potential. Now, do not assume that you know what your narrative is. Before you say, this is the narrative that I live under, ask yourself a question, what does my life tell me about the narrative that I'm actually living for? As we've spoken about before, the fruit of our lives points towards what is ultimately the root of our hearts, the root of our lives. Do not conclude what your narrative is based upon what you have told yourself. Instead, conclude what your narrative is based upon how you live day to day. Our narrative determines the words we speak, the actions we carry out and the decisions we make. And this applies to everyone today. This applies to everybody who has ever lived. Every single person in human history, including the Apostle Paul. Look at what Paul says in Galatians chapter 1 and in verses 13 to 14. Here we get a glimpse 
into the connection between his narrative and his lifestyle. Paul says this, For you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. So what we see here about Paul was that his narrative determined his actions, did it not? His narrative was verse 14. I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. Paul was passionately committed to the way of Judaism. And his actions followed on from that. What we read in verse 13. I intensely persecuted God's church and I tried to destroy it. So I hope we see how clear this is. Paul's narrative determined Paul's actions. And the amazing thing about Paul is that his narrative changed. If we continue on in this passage in Galatians 1 and in verse 15, through to the first part of verse 16, Paul writes of a change that took place in his life. It was a change of heart. It was a change of mind. It was a change of narrative. Paul says this, But when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, so that, I could, so that I could preach him among the Gentiles. So Paul says here, I was set apart. I was called by his grace. Jesus was revealed to me in my life. In other words, what Paul is saying here is a new narrative has been formed in my life because of Jesus. And what did it lead to? What actions followed on from this new narrative that Paul carried? What we read at the end of verse 16, Paul lived a life in which he preached Jesus among the Gentiles. New narrative resulting in new actions. Paul does something similar when he writes this letter to the Corinthians, where a passage is found. Paul begins this letter by presenting the Corinthians with a narrative that they need to live by, and which in many ways they weren't living by at all. And some have argued these words from Paul are the most important words of First Corinthians. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and in verses 4 to 9, I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in him in every way, in all speech and all knowledge. In this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful. You are called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The grace of God given to you, enriched in every way, not lacking any spiritual gift, called by him, fellowship with his son. So these are all narrative sentences. This is Paul reminding the church at Corinth of who they are. And what ought to be prominent within their hearts and minds. And notice that Paul writes this at the very start of the letter. For so messed up, the Corinthians, for so ravaged by sin. And it's evident in so many areas that he says this first. So that it might act as a lens into everything else he's going to say within this letter. For the Corinthians, a change of actions need to, come, need to first come from a change of heart. Which means a change of narrative. So Paul here wants them to see that they need to live in light of their God-given identity and not the identity that they've created for themselves. Paul puts this passage at the beginning of 1 Corinthians because this is a starting point for every single area of correction for these believers. 
Before they do for the glory of God, they need to be for the glory of God. And being means living in light of their God-given narrative. All of this means that when we read of all that Paul calls them to do within our passage today, it's in light of who they are in Christ, their narrative, 1 Corinthians 1, verses 4 to 9. In our passage today, Paul tells them to give no offence to anyone, Jews, Greeks, the church of God. He's saying this in light of the lens that is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 to 9. In our passage today, Paul says that he tries to please everyone, not seeking his own benefit, but the benefit of many. He says this of himself in light of the lens that is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 to 9. In our passage today, Paul says at the end that this that his goal is that he would see people saved. Again, again, this goal comes from who he is in Christ and who they are in Christ. The lens from which we read this is 1 Corinthians 1 and verses 4 to 9. So as we think about this subject of mission and what it means to be an example within mission, let's unpack exactly what it is that Paul is saying here within this passage. First of all, in verse 32, Paul says this, give no offence to Jews or Greeks or the church of God. Give no offence to Jews or Greeks or the church of God. Who exactly is Paul speaking of here? And how does this relate to our lives, to our own context? There's three groups he identifies. The Jews were religious people, people who walked in the ways of Judaism. Jewish people in Paul's day lived in strict adherence to a set of rules with an expectation that others would also live that way. We might describe these people as the rule makers, the rule makers. Then there were the Greeks, anyone who wasn't Jewish. These were people who lived by their own standards and not rules. They had no adherence to a rule of law. So we can describe these people as the rule breakers. And then Paul speaks finally of the church of God. This was people who had encountered the risen saviour. And who were a part of a worshipping community, the people of God, we're going to call them the redeemed, the redeemed. And Paul says, give no offence to any of these groups. What does he mean by this? Paul is not saying, make sure that you're never offensive to these groups, ever, period. That would be impossible. To be a human being means being offensive at some point or at different points within your life. Jesus was the most righteous man who ever lived. The only man who never sinned, and yet he was offensive. Many people found Jesus offensive. This didn't mean that they were right to be offended. It just meant that this is how their sinful nature responded to God's perfect goodness in the person of Jesus Christ. The reality is, you can do what is right, you can say what is true, and you can say and do all of this in love, and people will still be offended by you. We shouldn't go out our way to be offensive. That would be sin. But we shouldn't think that all forms of offence are sin. Because someone is always going to take issue with something you say, something you do, something of who you are. So what does Paul mean here when he says, give no offence to these three groups of people? Well, the wider context of our passage is so important. You might remember Paul's big message when it came to meat sacrifice to idols was one of living freedom for Christ. You're not bound by rules and regulations beyond who God calls you to be. But he also said, as you live in freedom, make sure that you're not a stumbling block towards other people. So if you think something is okay, and yet somebody else thinks it's not okay, for whatever reason that might be, 
then you living in a way that doesn't have due consideration for the weaker person might negatively affect their conscience and as a result cause them to sin. So when Paul says give no offence, he's saying do not cause other people to stumble, do not cause other people to sin by the way in which you live your life. For Paul he's saying to the Corinthians, don't cause the Jews to fall into sin, don't cause the Greeks to fall into sin, don't cause the people of God to fall into sin by what you say and do, even if how you live your life isn't necessarily sinful. Be considerate of others out of a love for them and a desire to see them built up in Christ. This applies to so many scenarios and situations today within our own lives. An example could be drinking alcohol in the presence of someone who does not have the same level of liberty that you might have within that area. Paul is saying here, be considerate. Do not cause them to stumble by having that in front of them. Another example might be choosing to watch certain films or TV programmes with others when for them, this may be difficult for them to watch. Paul says, give no offence to them. Do not cause them to fall into sin by watching it in their presence. Or it could be how you choose to spend your money, particularly when you think of what that might communicate to other people about your life. People might misunderstand your priorities by the money and possessions that you have. Paul says, do not act as an obstacle for other people when they desire to see an accurate picture of Christ within their life. And today, these kind of issues and many more and how it is we respond to these kinds of issues applies to absolutely everybody that we encounter. Everybody. As we think of the connection with our passage, it applies to the rule makers of our lives, religious folk, and I use that word religious in a very broad sense. We can be religious about anything. It applies to the rule breakers of our lives, folk who do not carry any obvious higher authority or moral compass day to day. And it also applies to the redeemed people of God, the local church that we are a part of, Deniston Baptist, and the wider network of churches that we connect to, and the global church that we have friendship and relationship with. Paul says, give no offence to these groups. Do not be a stumbling block to these groups. Do not let any part of your life cause any of these groups to sin because of what they see within your life. To put all of this in a very simple way, Paul here is saying, be the best version of Jesus you can possibly be to everybody that you come across. To religious people, to irreligious people, to believer, to non-believer. Be the best version of Jesus you can possibly be to every single person that you come across. This is why Paul goes on to say, in the first part of verse 33, just as I also try to please everyone in everything. In many regards, verse 33 is a paraphrase of verse 32. Paul says, you give no offence, just as I try to please everyone. When Paul says this, this is not him meaning pleasing everyone and whatever it is they desire. This is Paul meaning pleasing everyone in eternal things. This is him meaning living in such a way that others might be eternally satisfied in Christ through the example of your own life. And Paul unpacks this a bit more in the second part of verse 33 when he says, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many. Again, this is another rephrase of what Paul has already said. Give offence to nobody. Try to please everyone and everything. Do not seek your own benefit, but the benefit of many. So I don't want us to be numb 
to these words from Paul. The truth is that to live this kind of life, to live this kind of way, is so opposite to what we see within our culture today, where it's all about me, myself and I. And sadly, sadly, it's so opposite to what we see so often in church today. Imagine our life was one where we didn't cause other people to sin, one where we loved everybody equally, one where we didn't seek our own benefit, but the benefit of everybody else. You know, it's interesting when you zoom out a bit in this passage and you see how 1 Corinthians 10, 31, last week's passage, is directly linked to 1 Corinthians 10, 32 to 33, this week's passage. In verse 31, Paul says, Whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. And in verses 32 to 33, Paul says, Give no offence to anyone. Please everyone. Seek the benefit of everyone. You know, I love this because these verses are in many regards a mirror of the two greatest commandments, the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 12, verses 29 to 31. Something, again, that we looked at last week. Jesus answered, the most important is, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. As Paul would say, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Do we see the connection here? Love the Lord your God with all that you are. Paul says, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. It's the same message. Jesus continues, the second is, love your neighbour as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. And as Paul would say, give no offence. Please everyone, seek not your own benefit, but the benefit of everyone. To see that connection. Love your neighbour as yourself. And Paul says something very similar. As we will see more next week, to imitate Paul here is to imitate Christ. The words of Paul here are an echo of the words of Christ. The life of Paul mirrored in the life of Christ. Paul makes, Paul makes one more remark within this passage, which really helps us see the direction that he's taken all of us. Let's read this passage again so that we can see how it fits in with all that precedes these final words. Starting in verse 32, we read, Give no offence to Jews or Greeks of the church of God, just as I also try to please everyone and everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many, so that they may be saved. So that they may be saved. So we don't just love people and bless them for the sake of loving them and blessing them. There's a missional drive behind all that we're doing. We want to be the best. We want to be the most accurate picture of Jesus in order that they might see Christ and experience him for themselves. The amazing gift the amazing gift of Jesus that we've received for ourselves, we want to give to other people because we really do love the people that we're connecting with day to day. We really do have a genuine concern and care for them. And again, these words of Paul here are an echo of the words of Jesus. The Great Commission of Matthew 28, Jesus says in verse 18 to 20, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So here we have within this passage, the great command, verse 31, the second greatest command, verse 32, and the great commission, verse 33, all within this short section of 1 Corinthians so Paul wants our lives to be ordered in such a way that they love God, that they love people, 
and they see salvation amongst those that they love. These verses in many ways are a succinct summary of the Christian life for every single one of us today. Before we go into a time of worship, let me just make a comment on these three areas that Paul touches upon within this passage. And then I think it'd be helpful to then ask a question of each of these areas. What I want to say about these three areas is the order of what both Paul and Jesus says is really important. The order of what both Paul and Jesus says is really important. We begin, we always have to begin by loving God and only then can we truly love people. And it's only when we love people that we are truly on mission when we will see our people coming to faith in Christ. Far too often we can focus on the mission, how we can reach out and engage others with the gospel and we forget that the very heart of all missions has to first be a love for God and a love for people. How could you possibly share Jesus with somebody if you don't love him first? Maybe you find the idea of going out and sharing your faith with people you know or even people you don't know just really difficult. Perhaps this is because you've started here. You've focused on the mission and you've not began by fixing your eyes on Jesus, by loving him, loving God with all that you are, and by loving your neighbour as yourself. To be on mission, we need to love the people we're on mission to. And to love the people we're on mission to, we need to love God first, wholeheartedly, with all that we are. This is the order that Paul gives us within this passage. This is the order that Jesus gives us within the Gospels. And this is the order that Paul and Jesus lived out their life. So why do we think that we can live differently? Why do we focus first on mission? As we close, let me ask a question of each of these areas. And these are questions that we can ask in our missional communities. Um, as we think first about loving God with all that we are, as Paul describes it, to do everything for the glory of God, let me just ask this very simple question. Um, what are the genuine competitors to my love for God and how can I pray into and actively nurture a life that both prioritises and enjoys a love for God more than a love for anything else? So what are the genuine competitors to my love for God and how can I pray into and actively nurture a life that both prioritises and enjoys a love for God more than a love for anything else? You know, our hearts and our lives are never empty. If we are not filling ourselves with Jesus, we are filling ourselves with something else. So what needs to exit and what needs to enter your life so that a love for God becomes the priority of all priorities, the pursuit of all pursuits. As we think about loving people as we love ourselves, as Paul describes it, giving no offence, pleasing everyone, seeking the benefit of others, let me ask you this question. As I love God wholeheartedly, who are the people in my life most in need? Who can I practically help and encourage this week out of an overflow of my love for God? See the connection? Our love for God then flows into love for other people. The truth is, we love people irrespective of how it is they respond to Jesus and to the gospel. God loves the whole world and yet so many people refuse his love. So are we, are we willing to love how God loves? A love that gives with a very real possibility that this love will not be reciprocated. So a challenge for us to, to love and to not expect anything in return. 
Final question. As we think about mission, I'm not going to ask you a who question because I've already done that with the previous question. Instead, let me ask you this. A question that I hope gets to the heart of who we are and what it is we prioritise. How do you feel about sharing your faith with other people? Does it fill you with dread? Does it fill you with excitement? Is there indifference within your heart as you think about God's mission and God's call upon your life? You know, how we feel about the prospect of being on mission will always relate directly to how we're loving people and how we're loving God. If we're passionate about mission, then we're passionate about God and we're passionate about people. So let me just ask you to really consider carefully how it is you feel as you think and reflect about sharing Jesus with other people. Now, I know that being on mission might seem really difficult and perhaps complicated as you think of, of our current context, that being in lockdown. But our, our job today is not to come up with some amazing strategy for being on mission in a lockdown scenario. Your job today is to love God with all that you are. Your job today, in light of that love that you have for God, is to then love others with all that you are. And to do that will, will be to live a life that is full of the Holy Spirit, the power of God in your heart and mind. And a spirit-filled life is a spirit-led life. He will lead you into missional opportunities that he has already planned for you. How incredible is that? God is sovereign over all. He knows the past, present and future and he will lead us into incredible missional opportunities as we're full of the Spirit and as we're led by the Spirit. In Ephesians 2.10, Paul says these powerful words, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which, amazingly, God prepared ahead of time for us to do. He has already prepared these amazing works for us to do. May we walk in these good works as we have fellowship in Christ. Let's pray together. So Father, we, we thank you for this, this call and this challenge to be on mission. And Lord, I thank you that we don't need to do this on our own strength, that you give us everything we need to do that well and to do it for your glory. Lord, I pray that you would remove fear, you would remove indifference, you would remove dread and anxiety as we think about mission. And Lord, I pray that we would not focus we would not fix our eyes upon the mission. Instead, we would fix our eyes upon you as the offer and perfecter of our faith. And Lord, from that, there would be this, this increase of love in our life towards you and an increase of love towards our neighbour. And Lord, this would naturally result in mission for your glory, that we might see salvation, that that would result from all that we are and all that we do. We love you, Lord, and we pray that you would continue to challenge and speak to us as we now respond and worship to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. God bless.